So let's go into your next patient. So the next patient is a 61-year-old female who went for a routine GYN exam. And at the time of this assessment, she was noted to have a palpable abnormality in the rectum just a few centimeters from the anal verge. This turned out to be a tubular villus polyp with adenocarcinoma at the base of the polyp. She had undergone a resection and then subsequently was seen by another surgeon who did a transanal excision of the tumor. There was extension of tumor to the margin of resection. The patient had an extensive workup, which included CT and a CT PET, as well as a transanal ultrasound, all of which were negative. She had declined any further surgery. She had numerous further opinions. And the ultimate decision was to proceed with radiation, 5-FU, and then full FOX. She tolerated this treatment reasonably well. She had some difficulties with diarrhea. She had a lot of emotional distress during the course of her treatment. Part of it was because her husband was going through some medical issues, and part of it was just the whole just feeling overwhelmed that this had been such an incidental finding and she had otherwise been well. The patient was seen a little more than a year after her original presentation. She came back in. She had had follow-up studies, which included a CT scan. She had a four-millimeter left lower lobe nodule. And this was felt perhaps to be an incidental finding. It was of unclear significance, and we continued to monitor that. She had a repeat scan several months later. There was no change in that nodule. She was otherwise well. And at this point, her husband had some more complications of his medical course, and she had become kind of exhausted of the medical system, and she didn't come back for it was about a year and a half. She reappeared in February of this year, and we sent her for follow-up studies, which included a CAT scan, and the left lower lobe lesion was now 1.5 centimeters. She had no clear evidence of other abnormality. There were some questionable findings in the liver, which on subsequent PET scan and MRI were felt to be vascular changes and no evidence of metastatic disease. The lung lesion was biopsied, and it was proven to be metastatic from her rectal lesion. And at this point, and at the time of today's visit, she has had a repeat colonoscopy, she has had a transanal ultrasound, and she has been seen by a thoracic surgeon, and she's due to have this pulmonary nodule resected. And she is KRAS mutation positive. We discussed prospects of surgery and then subsequent treatment thereafter today. How does she feel about that? She's actually doing okay. Before she came in, Dan and I were talking about her situation, and I said that I'm finding myself in somewhat a state of disbelief that when I first met her and we first started on the full fox and the radiation, I prefaced the treatment by saying, you know, I have a real concern that we're over-treating you, but I don't see any way around it. And so here we are about three and a half years later, and she's going to surgery for a metastasis. Despite all of that, I was relieved at how acceptant she was, and she was actually very relieved by the fact that her only disease appears to be this lung nodule. What about the fact that she got lost there for a year and a half? Did you talk to her about that? Did she have any regrets about it? We did talk about it, and I told her that I thought that this was behind us, and I thought that it had no impact on where she was now and that she should just go to surgery, and thankfully this was all that she had to deal with. I said that I didn't think that this set her back. And I think she was a little bit sheepish. 
she wasn't blowing it off. She was just a little bit sheepish and apologetic that she hadn't shown up. But I think you handled it very well and made her not feel as if she had put her life at risk. I think she was particularly delighted with the fact that she didn't have a local recurrence of mm. her rectal yeah. tumor because yeah. she did not want to have surgery to begin with. And that obviously would be a most destructive phenomenon. It was interesting. We did a satellite at the ASH meeting on lymphoma. As usual, we did real cases. And one of the cases was a patient with follicular lymphoma who took off for a year and a half again and came back with this huge amount of disease and denial and all this. But the thing that was interesting was the patient was an endocrinologist, was a physician. Oh. <laughs> so it's not restricted to people outside the profession. Dan, can you go back to reconstruct how she presented and in terms of the way she was managed, the staging? I know you and I have talked over the years a lot about the way rectal cancer is approached, particularly outside of tertiary center. What are your thoughts about the way she was initially managed and if there are any differences in terms of how you might have done it? Well, I think hindsight is always the best diagnostician, but I think one of the difficulties with local excision is knowing that that's what you're going to do from the day you start, is not do it piecemeal. But frequently what happens is that people have their tumors taken out piecemeal. You can't really get the orientation of them. And because this was a very distal lesion, she would clearly have required a colostomy. So perhaps, again, going backward, if in 2005 she'd had a good local excision and then chemoradiotherapies for sprinter preservation, she might have had a little bit better chance. And what about the issue of local excision? I think there's actually an ACOS trial looking at that. And how is it viewed in terms of a cancer operation? It's actually a fairly uncommon presentation, and it's only to be used when people would require a colostomy. So there's been a CALGB trial and then the ACOSOG trial. And most people accept that the tumors clearly have to be less than a certain size, typically four centimeters, no poorly differentiated components, no lymphovascular invasion, and a complete excision. When I saw the two presentations at ASCO looking at oxaliplatin as new adjuvant therapy rectal cancer, you were the first person I thought about. So I'm curious what you think about those presentations and where we are right now with that issue. They're interesting, and for a couple of reasons. One is that I know that phase two experiences can overcall certain events as the path CR rate in rectal cancer, but there have been almost 400 patients in multiple phase two trials showing path CR rates at the lower end of about 10%, similar to 5FU, and all the way up into the 30s. So I have to look at these two studies, and there are a lot of things you can't get from the presentation, like were these centrally reviewed? What was their definition of a PATH-CR? So depending but I mean, on how you... was, oxaliplatin didn't increase the PATH-CR. In CR. neither of the two studies. So it may well be true, and it may be NSABP R04 that's going to be the next study to tell us. That's about three quarters of the way through its accrual. And so I take it then that that trial is going to continue in spite of these data coming out? Absolutely. Do you see any flaws in the way the studies are done? In 10 minutes, hard to say, but again, the lack of clear definition and potentially some other issues related to the administration of oxaliplatin. In one study, I think only five doses were given, so that could have an impact. Phil, how did she do with the radiation therapy? Any problems with it? Yeah, the radiation therapy was a real ordeal for her. She had a lot of rectal discomfort. She had diarrhea. And actually, that became a very important part of our discussion today because when I talked to her about taking some chemotherapy after her surgery, we focused on the point that she wasn't going to have to deal with radiation and chemo and that she was going to be starting from a stronger, healthier point. 
Now, is she completely recovered right now from the radiation effects, or does she still have problems? She has radiation proctitis on her colonoscopy, they saw it, but she really doesn't have any symptomatic difficulties. What's the spectrum of problems that you see, Dan, in terms of you know, radiation therapy in the rectum? Well, second malignancies is one. So if people live long enough, they can frequently get second primary tumors, including sarcomas. I think radiation proctitis is a big issue for people who retain their rectum. I think that's problematic. I think it is also the fact that we probably overuse radiation sometimes by treating 95 people for the benefit of five, and then only in terms of local failure. One thing we did talk about with this patient, we discussed a little bit earlier, the pitfalls, the pros and the cons of neoadjuvant chemotherapy for liver mets where you might have CRs and then not know what to resect. I think the situation's even worse in the lung because you don't have any landmarks to go by. It's kind of hard to wedge out something that doesn't exist anymore. So I think this is more a case for postoperative adjuvant therapy. Although one of the thinkings behind neoadjuvant therapy is, quote, let the disease declare itself, and if it's going to explode into other METs, as opposed to maybe have excellent control, maybe you think differently about it. Does that uh, apply in lung METs? Well, I don't know about lung METs, but certainly if you go to the EORTC neoadjuvant liver trial, although that was one of the stated aims, I think it was only in a handful of patients that patients didn't go on to their liver resection, and maybe falsely so. So I think you have to be careful using that particular argument. What do we know about the resection of lung mets in colorectal cancer in terms of what the impact is in terms of survival? How far can you go? Do you do bilateral resections? The answer is we talked about that with the patient about what would her cure rate be with surgery alone. And the best data set is quite old, pre-CT almost from the Mayo Clinic, where there was a 25% five-year survival with resection of isolated lung mats. Clearly, some of those people had sequential resections bilaterally. I suspect that the cure rate goes up when you have PET and other things to rule out disease elsewhere. So clearly, it's a focus. It's just much less common as an isolated event compared to hepatic metastases. The time frame of her presentation of her lung lesion, I think, dictated what the next course was going to be to not include chemotherapy up front. There was a four centimeter lesion in 07, it's 1.5 now with no other disease anywhere else. So she kind of stated her biology.